Okay, get 1 Peter chapter 1 and Hebrews chapter 10. Those will be our first two passages this morning. 1 Peter chapter 1 and Hebrews chapter number 10. A lot of ground to cover. We're going to move really quickly uh, this morning, Lord willing. Uh, our, our statement of belief regarding the person of Jesus Christ is this. We believe... The Lord Jesus Christ to be God manifest in the flesh, virgin born, without sin, crucified, risen, and coming again to receive his church, then returning to establish his kingdom. We are still on that topic of his crucifixion. As we study the person, the nature, the work of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, um, we're focusing for uh, this week, last week, probably next time, on the cross. The cross. The cross of Jesus Christ. The plan of redemption, as we studied last time, was enacted by the Trinity in Eden. The Lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. And that redemption plan all culminated on top of a hill called Calvary as the Son of God was lifted up on a cross. It was the very purpose of His coming to earth. From His birth, it was pictured that He was born to die. Moses and Elijah spoke with Christ, the Mount of Transfiguration of the deceased, which He would accomplish at Jerusalem. When Jesus died on the cross, remember the last thing He said before He committed his spirit to the Father, and bowed his head and gave him the voice, he cried with a loud voice, It is finished. He said throughout his ministry, I am come to do the Father's will. I'm come to accomplish the Father's work. I'm here to do what the Father sent me to do. And not until he died on the cross did he say that it was finished. His work was not finished when he was born in Bethlehem. His work was not finished when he healed the sick and raised the dead and walked on water. His work was not finished when he preached to the multitudes or fed the 5,000. It was not finished until he died on the cross because that is what he came to do. And he accomplished that. He gave his life for our sins. And the Bible says Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. How was he going to save sinners? The only way for sinners to be saved was for their sins to be paid for. And the wages of sin is death. So the only way for sins to be paid for, Jesus Christ had to die. But in order to die, he had to become a man. But in order to die for our sins, he had to be God. And so the humanity of Christ, the deity of Christ, they all work together and it's all necessary in order for him to do what he came to do. And that is be our substitute, be our sacrifice, be our savior. And so Jesus Christ, he died on the cross and it was planned from the foundation of the world. It was the purpose of of his coming, it's it's what he accomplished when he was here. It was also pictured and prophesied throughout the Old Testament. Now, 
Not only the fact that he would die, and the Jews completely missed this. When Jesus came and presented himself as the Son of God and as the Messiah, what was their hope? What was their expectation? That he would overthrow Roman government and establish his kingdom. That was not the purpose for the first coming of Jesus Christ. That's what he'll do when he comes again. His second advent will be to establish his kingdom. But his first advent was to die on the cross. He came the first time as a lamb. He'll come the second time as a lion. But it's not just that he died. The means of his death is both pictured and prophesied, as we've said throughout the Old Testament. Remember again, crucifixion did not exist when these prophecies were made, when these predictions were given, when when God pictured this death uh, throughout the Old Testament scriptures. Now I gave you 1 Peter chapter 1. Look there quickly. Two purposes for the lesson this morning. Number one, I want us to appreciate what Jesus Christ accomplished for us on the cross. That's why we stop once a month and observe the Lord's Supper. We need to remember this. We need to be mindful of this. We need to, we need to renew our focus and our attention on what Jesus Christ did for us. And we need to, we need to connect everything about our lives to that. That needs to be our source of inspiration and motivation that needs to be our reason for living that needs to be behind everything that we do and every decision that we make we've got to keep this at the forefront of our minds we've got to appreciate what jesus did for us but then i also want these truths to strengthen our faith and confidence that the bible is the word of god when people say the bible is just a book written by man what they're saying is i've never read it I've never studied it. I've never spent any time with it. Because if you do, it will prove itself to you to be divinely inspired. Now, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 10. Speaking of our salvation as New Testament Christians, the Bible says, Of which salvation the prophets, Old Testament prophets, have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. We'll stop right there. So here's what the Bible just said. The Old Testament prophets that wrote about our salvation, that wrote about God's grace coming to us, they wrote about the sufferings of Christ, first coming, and the glory that should follow second coming. So these Old Testament prophets, they foretold, they predicted, they prophesied Christ's death, Christ's suffering by means of crucifixion. Not only that, when they wrote it, they didn't really even understand what it is they were writing. Which goes against the thought or the concept that's just a book written by men. If they made it up, well then it originated in their minds and they knew what it was, right? But when God, the Holy Spirit, holy men of God uh, were, were moved by the Holy Ghost, God had them write these details in advance. So the sufferings of Christ, our, they are the topic of Old Testament prophecy, even though the prophets themselves didn't quite understand. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 1. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 1. The Bible says this, For the law... 
having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. The passage goes on to describe why, but the point is the Old Testament sacrifices were never for the purpose of taking away anybody's sins. They couldn't do that. But part of the purpose was this, to paint a picture, to cast a shadow, to teach us about another offering and another sacrifice that appears later in Hebrews chapter 10 when Jesus Christ comes and he says, I come to do thy will, O God. And he gives his, his life, his body, one sacrifice for sins forever. But it's pictured and shadowed all throughout the Old Testament. Now let me give you uh, this morning just some of those pictures. Here's what I want you to do as you follow along. Just jot some notes beside these references as to what this pertains to related to the cross of Jesus Christ. We don't have time to look up all of these scriptures, but in Genesis 22, Abraham takes Isaac on top of a mountain. It was a test of faith. Do you really love me, Abraham? Then offer to me the son that you love. And so Abraham takes Isaac up on top of the mountain of Moriah in Genesis chapter 2. And he raises the knife to make that sacrifice. The Lord stops him. Abraham, Abraham, listen, don't offer your son. But the statement is made in Genesis 22, verse number 8. My God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. Now, it, it didn't say that God himself would provide a lamb. Though that's true. It said God himself. God will provide himself. God is going to give himself as the lamb for the burnt offering. Now, what takes place when Abraham does not offer Isaac? Well, they're on top of the mountain. They've got the wood. They've got the, uh, they've, they, they've got the altar. They've got the knife. But where's the offering? And Abraham, directed by the Lord, he turns and looks. And, and, and what does he find? He finds a ram. And instead of Isaac being offered... The ram was offered. Here is a substitute. Here is another sacrifice to stand in the place of Isaac, in the place of Abraham's beloved son. Now, now what is that? That's substitution. That's what Jesus did. Instead of us paying for our sins, he paid for our sins. Instead of us bearing our sins, he bore our sins. Now, when he looked and saw that ram, what does the Bible say in Genesis 22? That the ram had his horns caught in a thicket, right? And so here's this ram, and I'm sure he's struggling, but his, his horns, they're, they're all caught up in, in thorns. Which is a picture of what would happen to Jesus Christ as he was crucified because the Bible says in Matthew 27 and verse 29, other scriptures as well, that when they crucified him, they platted a crown of thorns and they beat it upon his head. So the substitute, the offering made in place of Isaac, it's got thorns around its head, just like Jesus Christ. Let's picture the cross. Look at Exodus chapter 12 quickly. Exodus chapter 12. This is the Passover uh, feast, the Passover celebration. This is actually the Passover event uh, in Exodus chapter 12. And I just want you to notice a couple of words in the passage. 
you understand the situation. Um, all the firstborn are going to die unless the blood of the lamb is applied to the doorposts of that house. Here are the instructions that are given in Exodus 12, verse 3. Speak in all the congregation of Israel, saying, The tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb. Okay, a lamb. Verse number 3. If the household be too little for the lamb, verse 4, let him his neighbor next to the house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. So a lamb, verse 3. The lamb, verse 4. Verse 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. So there's an innocent lamb who is slain, his blood applied to the house, and if the blood is applied to that house, the judgment of God passes over that house. Now, that's Jesus Christ. He is innocent. He was slain. His blood was shed. And if that blood is applied to our heart and our lives, then the judgment of God passes over. Now, a lamb, verse 3, but he's the lamb, only one, verse Four, but is he your lamb? Verse number five. Now, there are many details in Exodus chapter 12 that correlate to the offering and the sacrifice that Jesus made. We'll see one of them in a moment. This lamb could not have any bones broken. Just as when Jesus Christ was, was crucified, it was prophesied, not a bone of him would be broken. This Passover lamb is a picture of the crucifixion. Look at Le Leviticus chapter 16. This is the Day of Atonement, and we don't have time to, to read or study the chapter, but here's what happened. Two lambs were brought, and lots were cast, which would be the offering and which would be the scapegoat. Because one of those lambs was going to die, and one of those lambs was going to go free. And here's what happened. Jesus Christ, he was the offering. Jesus Christ... He was the sacrifice. And because he gave his life, we all get to go free. And then that lamb that went free, not only does it picture us, in a sense it pictures Christ because here's what would happen. The high priest, he would take the blood of that lamb. He would enter into the holiest place. He would put the blood upon the altar. But then he would come out and he would go to the scapegoat. He would go to the other lamb. And he would place his hands upon that lamb and he would confess the sins of the nation. And then after the sins of the nation were placed on that lamb, that lamb would be set free to go into the wilderness and take all of those sins away from the house of God and the people of God and the congregation of Israel. So there's a lamb that dies so another can go free and that pictures Jesus. Then there's a lamb that bears the sins of the nation and takes them far, far away. And that pictures Jesus Christ. Because the Bible says in Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. John the Baptist announced Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. 1 John 3, 5 says he was manifested to take away our sin. Both the offering and the scapegoat on the Day of Atonement picture Jesus Christ. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 21. We'll actually read this verse. Deuteronomy 21 and verse number 23. Deuteronomy 21 and verse number 23. 
And the Bible says this in Deuteronomy 21, 23, His body shall not remain all night upon the tree, but thou shalt in any wise bury him for that day. For he that is hanged is accursed of God. That thy land be not defiled, which Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. This is repeated throughout the Old Testament, that cursed is every man that hangeth on a tree. Now, hanging on a tree, the, the, the imagery that I get is a man with a noose around his neck and the rope tied to one of the branches. I mean, hanging on a tree, that's, that's the way that I understand that. But would, not, would that not be phrased, hanging from a tree? <laughs> Galatians chapter 3 says this, that everyone that continueth not in all things that are written in the book of the law, they're under the curse of the law. But Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is every man that hangeth on a tree. Now you, you, you might say in the Old Testament, I think in some instances, would say that being hung from a tree is part of this curse, but I mean, think about how that fits crucifixion. Because here is this tree, here is this cross made of wood, and the Son of God nailed to that cross is hanging there on the tree. And though we deserve to be cursed, He took that curse upon himself. The crucifixion is pictured in this curse on the one who hangs on a tree. And then Numbers chapter 21, and, and we won't read that passage, but you remember when those deadly serpents came in among the congregation of Israel because they were complaining and murmuring against God and, and several people were bitten and that serpent's bite was deadly and Moses went to the Lord and the Lord offered the solution, take a serpent of brass and and on a pole and lift it up and anyone who looks to that, they'll be healed and they will live. Jesus refers to that in John chapter 3. said, even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. This serpent, it's on a pole. And anyone who looks to that serpent for healing will be spared Jesus Christ. He said, I'm going to be lifted up. What do you mean by that? He was signifying, John 12, 32, he was signifying what death he would die. He was lifted up from the earth on a cross. But if we look to him by faith, trusting in what he did on that cross, then we too will live. We'll have everlasting life. The, the serpent's bite will not bring about the second death. Okay, so those are some pictures throughout the Old Testament. The ram caught in a thicket, the Passover lamb, the day of atonement, the curse for the one hanging on a tree, the serpent lifted up on a pole. All of these things picture the cross of Jesus Christ. But we also have many, many details regarding his crucifixion that are given us in the Old Testament hundreds of years before Jesus even showed up on the earth as a man. The two chapters that stick out more than any other are Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53. There are other places as well. But I have the list here. It's got 25 or 26 verses that give us specific details regarding the crucifixion. Let's see if we can read through some of these together quickly. Psalm 22. Go there with me if you would. Psalm 22. 
and verse number 1. Psalm 22 and verse number 1. Man could not have colluded to make this happen. The Romans weren't well versed in Old Testament prophecy. That's not why they crucified Jesus. The Sanhedrin, the, the Pharisees, the council, the scribes, they, they weren't going about to make sure that these prophecies were fulfilled. That's not why they wanted Jesus dead. For envy they delivered him to Pilate. But God had these details written hundreds of years in advance, and it all played out just exactly as the prophets had predicted. My God, my God, Psalm 22, 1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You familiar with those words? It's what Jesus cried from the cross, according to Matthew 27, 46. Now, David, he's the psalmist here, and he's feeling forsaken by the Lord. Little did he know he was actually writing of something that would take place uh, hundreds of years later. Further details are given, verse number Seven. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head. Okay? This lines up with the mocking crowd at the foot of the cross. The New Testament says in many places they wagged their heads. They reviled him. They mocked him. They cursed Jesus Christ as he hung upon the cross. You can write down Matthew 27, 39 through 41. In Psalm 22, 7, we see the mocking crowd. But not only the fact there would be those looking on with scorn and derision and ridicule, their very words were recorded in the psalm. Verse number 8. Saying, he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him, let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. Now those people making fun of Jesus at the foot of the cross, they were not quoting scripture when they said, Thou be the Son of God, come down. But they quoted the exact words of Psalm 22, 8. He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him, let him deliver him. If you continue in the Matthew passage, Matthew 27, 42 through 43, that's exactly what they said as Jesus died. It's not only the mocking crowd, but the cry of the crowd. Moving now to verse number 14. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. Poured out like water. Do you know what the centurion did when he came to break Jesus' legs and found that he had already passed away and given up the ghost, he took a spear and thrust it into his side, and the Bible says there came out blood and water. Just as the psalmist had predicted, I am poured out like water. That reference is going to be John 19 and verse 34, poured out like water. Look at verse number 15. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaveth to my jaws. Thou hast brought me into the dust of death. Jesus said seven things as he hung on the cross. And one of those things was, I thirst. I thirst. That was predicted in Psalm twenty-two, fifteen, And we'll see it again in just a minute. Look at verse 16. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. 
Again, crucifixion was not a method of execution when David wrote this psalm. But the piercing of the hands and the feet would be part of the torture that was perfected by the Romans as they executed their enemies and opponents and criminals. And as Jesus Christ went on top of Calvary and they put him on the cross and they nailed him to that cross. A a nail through this hand, a nail through that hand, a nail through his feet. He was pierced. Just as the Bible had said. Verse number 17, I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. Uh, three, At least three of the four Gospels record the fact that Pilate had Jesus scourged before he was delivered to be crucified. Historians tell us about the cat of nine tails that was employed by the Romans in these beatings that would lacerate and rip open the flesh of the victim. I may tell all my Bones, the physical mutilation that Jesus Christ endured and experienced, it's not only beyond comprehension, but it was all foretold in the Old Testament. Look at verse number 18. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Remember what the soldiers did? Now, they stripped Jesus naked and he hung in shame upon the cross. But they took his clothes and said, hey, who's going to get these? And so they started to roll the dice to see who would get what from Jesus' wardrobe. They cast lots for his garments. They parted his garments among them. That's recorded in three of the four gospel records. You can write down Matthew 27, 35. Look at Psalm 31. Another statement made by Christ upon the cross comes from the Old Testament. Psalm 31 and verse 5. Into thine hand I commit my spirit. So Jesus, after he said it is finished, then he said, into thy hand I commit my spirit. And he bowed his head and he gave up the ghost. That's Luke 23 and verse number 46. The last statement Christ made upon the cross, it comes from the Old Testament. Look at Psalm 34, 19 and 20. Psalm 34, 19 and 20. The Bible says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Now, when you're reading the poetic portions of the Old Testament, mainly Proverbs, but also Psalms, Job, you could put Song of Solomon in there as well. When you're in the poetic scriptures and you come across the righteous, oftentimes it can be a reference to Jesus Christ. He's the righteous. He's the only one with the innocent blood. He's the only man who was perfectly holy. So think about it in this context. Many of the afflictions of the righteous Christ, but the Lord delivered them out of them all. He keepeth all his bones. Not one of them is broken. And the New Testament records how this prophecy was fulfilled in John 19, 32 through 36. We've already mentioned the soldiers came to break the legs of those that were crucified because, you know, the Jews wanted to keep the Sabbath and make sure they didn't have to go out there and get the bodies on the Sabbath day because they didn't want to break the law when they murdered a man and unjustly put him to death. But the soldiers were sent to break the legs of those that were crucified. And when the soldiers got there, they broke the legs of the two thieves so that they would not be able to breathe so they would die of the suffocation. 
But Jesus Christ, he had already expired. He had already given up the ghost. Not a bone of his was broken in keeping with Psalm 34 and in keeping with the picture of the Passover lamb whose bones could not be broken, Exodus 12, 46. Look at Psalm 35, next chapter, verse number 11. Psalm 35 and verse number 11. False witnesses did rise up. They laid to my charge things that I knew not. False witnesses. Now, they, they held this mock trial to come up with a sentence of crucifixion against Jesus Christ. They had to condemn him for something. They couldn't just say, we want you dead. They had to come up with a reason. So what did they have to do? They had to hire false witnesses. They had to come. They had to pay people to come and make up stuff about Jesus because he had never done anything wrong. He was an innocent man. Pilate said, I find no fault in him. But, but they had all these witnesses and nobody could agree as to what actually Jesus had done. False witnesses rose up against him mark 14 55 through 59 look at psalm 38 and verse number 11 psalm 38 and verse number 11 says my lovers and my friends stand aloof from my sore and my kinsmen stand afar off afar off when christ was apprehended um, all the disciples forsook him and fled, but the Bible says Peter followed, uses this phrase, afar off. By the time that Jesus gets to the cross, some of the women that followed him end up appearing among the crowd, but the New Testament records that they followed afar off. Those that were closest to him throughout his life and ministry did not remain close to him at the moment of his death. They followed Afar off, just as the scripture had said. Psalm 41 and verse number 9. Psalm 41 and verse number 9. Yea, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. You know what took place right before Christ was betrayed? The Last Supper. He meets to observe the Passover meal with his disciples. And he says, what are you going to betray me? And they're like, who's it going to be? Jesus said, the one to whom I hand the bread after I've dipped it in the sobs of John 13. And he takes the bread, he dips it, and he hands it to Judas Iscariot and says, that thou doest, do quickly. When Judas comes with the soldiers to the Garden of Gethsemane, where he knew that Jesus would be praying to his father, he be he betrayed the Son of God with a kiss. And Jesus said, friend. Jesus said, friend. He was betrayed by a friend. It wasn't just his enemies. They had an inside man. They had to have one of the disciples to betray Jesus Christ. And it was just as predicted in the Psalms. It's Matthew 26, 21 through 25, verses 46 through 50. Look at Psalm 69 and John 19. We're going to have to wrap it up right here. Psalm 69 and John chapter 19. Psalm 69, 21. The Bible says, They gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. 
They gave me gall for my meat, and my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Look at John 19, verses 28 through 30. John 19, 28 through 30. And after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. You know why he said he thirsted? Not necessarily because he was thirsty. And I'm sure he was. That's not why he said it. He said it to fulfill the scripture. It's like there's a checklist of prophecies, and he's making sure each item is checked off the list. Verse number 29 says, Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar, and put it upon hyssop, and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. It wasn't finished until he had checked off all the prophecies. And it's like he's scanning his mind, and he comes to Psalm 69, 21. And they gave me gall into my thirst. They gave me vinegar. Oh yeah, the, the vinegar, the gall. I thirst. And then they, they offer him the vinegar and the gall. And, and then he says, Okay. It's finished. He bows his head. He gives up the ghost. Jesus Christ in his crucifixion, not only did he die for our sins, not only did he offer himself a sacrifice, not only did he fulfill the Father's will, he fulfilled all those Old Testament prophecies and predictions and pictures that were made hundreds and hundreds of years before. Let me just run through the rest of this list. In Psalm 109, we have another reference to the crowds wagging their heads against Jesus Christ. In Isaiah 50, verse number 6, we have another reference to the scourging that Christ received. It said they would rip out his beard and spit in his face, and it was all fulfilled in the New Testament. In Isaiah 52, in verse 14, it speaks of his visage being marred more than any man and the torture that Christ endured as part of his execution by crucifixion left him unrecognizable as a human being. In Isaiah 53, in verse number 7, it says, As a lamb before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. What did Jesus answer at his trial before Caiaphas and Annas and the chief priest? He answered nothing. What did Jesus answer when they took him to Herod? Herod marveled that he, he wouldn't speak up to defend himself. And, and when Christ was before Pilate, Pilate said, Are you not going to answer these charges and accusations? And Jesus, he didn't. He kept silence before his accusers. In Isaiah 53, verse number 9, it says, He made his grave with the wicked. In verse number 12, he was numbered among transgressors. He died in the middle of two criminals, two malefactors, two thieves, and was numbered among them, like the Bible says. In Isaiah 53, 9, not only did he make his grave with the, with, with the wicked, but with the rich in his death. You remember who went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus and prepared it for the burial and placed it in a tomb? It was Joseph of Arimathea and Matthew's gospel says he was a rich man and he placed Jesus in his own new tomb. So his grave was not just with the wicked, it was with the rich. He was placed in a rich man's grave. He only needed it for three days and three nights. In Zechariah, I'm sorry, in Isaiah 53, verse number 12, he made intercession for transgressors. The first thing Jesus said from the cross. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He interceded for transgressors. 
as he died. In Zechariah 11, verse number 12, the Bible gives the price for which he was betrayed. 30 pieces of silver. In Zechariah eleven thirteen, the Bible tells us what they would do with that money. Oh, we can't take this into the treasury. It's the price of blood. So what do they do? They bought the potter's field. Not knowing they were fulfilling exactly what the Old Testament had prophesied. In Zechariah 12, verse number 10, they will look on me whom they have pierced. Remember when Jesus showed up to Thomas and the disciples? Look, look, look at my hands. Go ahead, take your hand and reach it into the wound in my side. They, they looked on him. They saw the wounds. Still in his hands, still in his side. They will look on him whom they have pierced. He was pierced as part of the crucifixion. Zechariah 13, 6 speaks of the wounds in his hands. Zechariah 13, 7 speaks of the sheep being scattered. Read those verses. I marvel at the precision of the word of God. And I marvel at the love that our Savior has, that He would be willing to do all of that for us. Whatever it is He asks us to do for Him, it's absolutely worth it. It is reasonable service. Father, thank You for Your Word. It's truth. Lord, the confidence that we can have in it, help us to have the confidence we ought to have in Your Word. Thank You for the love of your son. Thank you for the sacrifice he made for us on Calvary's cross. In Jesus' name, amen.